to be in Hebrews 11. Uh, if you want to turn, we'll have it on the screen, but you can go there in your, in your Bibles or in your electronic devices if you want to. Um, I want to remind you that, yes, it's been summertime, and yes, it's been the weirdest summer that we can probably remember, um, but, but ministry has been happening. It's still happening. Uh, I want to kind of direct your thoughts toward that, maybe encourage you with it, um, that throughout the summer, we've had the opportunity as a church to draw alongside people who have been sick, and maybe some of them have had... Um, you know, COVID, but some of it's just been life and people have gotten ill. And uh, we've been able to draw alongside uh, those people and help them and support them. Uh, we've bought groceries for people and taken them over to their homes. And some of you have done uh, some of these things also. We've done birthday drive-bys and graduation drive-bys and anniversary drive-bys and uh, more drive-by parties than we ever want to do again. Uh, but we've been doing a lot of that this, this uh, summer. As far as I know, since um, this started back in early March, uh, we've had at least three weddings in our church family that I know of. Um, the cares are sitting here in the middle. We haven't had a chance to really celebrate them, but they were married back at the beginning of March, and then we've had uh, a couple of more. That's been awesome. Uh, we've had, again, as far as I know, three babies born, maybe four uh, during this time. Um, and so I think what I want to tell you is that, man, life goes on. Uh, ministry goes on, and many of us have had an opportunity to come beside these people and walk with them and celebrate life with them or, or see people on to the next um, part of existence in heaven. We've, we've lost some, uh, one of our church members a couple of weeks ago, and we got to walk with that family. We're still walking with that family through that. So life goes on. Ministry goes on. What I want to encourage all of you with is find a way to be involved with people. Find a way to be involved with people, right? There are still ministry needs and life needs that are happening. And you can have the joy of drawing alongside someone during a time that's already hard and then probably somewhat magnified during this time. Um, and we can walk with people um, in ministry. So you've been great with that so far. I want to encourage you to continue to do it. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11 uh, is where we'll be, verses 30 and 31. You're like, two verses, we're going to get out early. Nope. Um, didn't happen last service, and it's probably not going to happen this service. Um, there's a lot to say about these two verses here. So, uh, as we've walked through Hebrews, <clears throat> excuse me, we've, we've we've done our best to wrap our minds around faith. The whole book is 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 about faith and holding on and believing and trusting God. And uh, so the whole thing is kind of driving us that direction. And uh, in the last several weeks, we've looked at some, I would just say, sort of summary statements that help us understand what faith is about. And I want to review two of those, and then I want to introduce a new one today, just as we begin to, or continue to, to, to wrap our brains around what does it mean to trust God and have faith in Him. So the first thing I would say is that faith is believing that God is telling the truth. That sounds so elementary and maybe simplistic, but this is where it begins, that faith is believing that God is telling the truth. Do you? We're going to start the day just by you asking yourself a question. Do I believe that God is telling the truth? And that's any subject you want to throw out. Anything. There's, there's nothing out of bounds on that question. Do you believe that God is telling the truth? Then my next question, and we're going to hit this again later, is do you know what God has said? Because it's difficult to know that God's telling the truth if you don't know what God has said. So here's a very simple exercise for you to walk through to maybe gauge yourself on where you're at on the trust scale. What is your greatest fear or what are you afraid of? What is it that wakes you up at four in the morning or keeps you up late at night or attacks you in anxiety in the middle of the afternoon and you're afraid of it? What is your fear 
What is your dream? What is your passion, your desire? What's on your wish list? What are you praying about on a regular basis? Write it down. Don't make this an, an exercise up here. It becomes real when you like put it on paper in particular. Put it somewhere where you can see it. Write it down and then go through it and say, what does God tell me about that thing? What has God promised me about that specifically? And then, do you believe what God has said about that? So we need to move out of the generic, general, vague, I believe God, I trust God, to here's what I'm terrified of losing. What has God said about it? Well, I believe what he has said about that is true. That's faith. Second thing, faith is then living like God is telling the truth. So you can know what God says, and you can kind of believe what God says, and then live in a completely different way. So faith isn't just knowing what God has said or believing in what God is saying, but to then live like, to align your life behind what God is saying, and that it's true. Are you? So do you believe it, and are you living like it's true? Now here's the third one I want to kind of introduce today, that faith is making value judgments today based on what you believe God has promised about the future. Faith is making value judgments today based on what you believe that God has told you about the future. You know that God has said all kinds of things about the future. Maybe not in the detail we would like him to, but he has said a ton of stuff about the future. He's talked about our government. He's talked about government, period. He's made all kinds of promises about who's in charge and what they're going to do and et cetera, et cetera. All kinds of things about that. What is social, socially normal? What is acceptable in culture? He's talked about this. He's talked about what it is and what it's probably going to be like in the future, what it will be like in the future. He's talked about your family. He's talked about future generations. He's already talked to you about these things, about relationships and happiness and joy and eternity and eternal life with him and where you live today and what car you drive and the stuff that you buy or you don't buy. He's talked about all of it. And he has promised you things in the future about all of those things. Now, today, you and I have to make a value decision based on that information. If God says, this is what's going to be true in the future, am I willing to buy or not buy that today based on what he has said? Am I willing to live or not live there based on what he has said? Am I willing to take that job or not take that job based on what he said? Am I willing to say no to all of it so I can go be a missionary somewhere based on what God has said about the future? This, it's very practical. Faith is making value judgments today, things that you say, this is important to me today, based on what God has told you about the future. And we're really going to see that. We've already seen it over and over again with these people in, in Hebrews 11. We're going to see it again today as we dig into these two uh, characters or Old Testament people that we see here. So I wanted to kind of wrap up some faith things as we get started to put your mind and your heart geared towards faith. So Hebrews 11, verse 30 and 31. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the harlot did not perish along with those who were disobedient after she had welcomed the spies in peace. So we get information, we get introduced or reintroduced to two Old Testament characters, right? Joshua and Rahab. Now, most of us know Joshua. 
right? Do you remember the, many now, she said it yesterday. Well, do you remember the song when you were a kid? Joshua in the battle of Jericho, Jericho. We saw it in, in, in VBS. Remember that? Joshua bought the book. And the walls came tumbling down. We do not teach our, ki- our kids Rahab, the prostitute of Jericho, <laughs> Jericho, <laughs> right? We don't teach that part of the story. But if you go read Joshua chapter 1 and chapter 2, she is absolutely vital to the story. Her faith, you could say, is at least as important as Joshua's faith in the people of Israel. Maybe, maybe more so. So these are the two people we're going to kind of look at today. We're going to look at Joshua and Israel and Rahab, this person that we probably don't think about too much. The very first thing we see here is it says, By faith the walls of Jericho fell down. I just feel like I needed to address this as we get into it, and some of you will really appreciate this, and some of you may appreciate it later. Um, what is it that caused the walls to fall? Like, what is it that caused... Now, some, here we go. We can... And I love this. I wish we were having a conversation, right? Because there's an overly simplistic way to look at it and just say, God, well, God did. God did it. God did. That's all you need to know. God did it. And there's a reductionism to that. You know what I'm saying? There's a simple oversimplification. There's a reductionism to the story. Because there's other things in the story that happen. So when we, I, I want to just take a step back, and, and I want to ask this question. Basically, we're asking the question, what role does faith play in things? Like, what, what is the effect of faith in our lives? Not just in the Battle of Jericho or, or whatever else, but like in our lives. What does faith do? What role does it play? That's really the question that I'm asking here. What's the effect of faith? Take a step back to last week in Hebrews chapter 11. We looked at Moses. So you have the, the Red Sea, the, you know, the miracle of the Red Sea parting. And it's probably oversimplistic and a reduction to look back at that story and say, well, what caused the Red Sea to, 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 to split? God did. Well, okay, yes. Could, you not all, could somebody else not also say, well, faith did. Could you not also make the, the, the case, because there's a biblical text that says, an east wind blew and made the ocean split. So you could say the east wind did it. All of which are oversimplifications and a reductionistic view of the text. Now we're to Jericho. What caused the walls of Jericho to fall? Was it the trumpets? Some nerdy uh, guy in this room, some nerdy engineer in this room is going to go, yes, they blew their trumpets at a particular frequency and it caused the mortar between the bricks to disintegrate and fall apart and that's what caused the walls. Was it the trumpets? that caused the walls to fall? Was it the shout to the Lord that caused the walls to fall? Was it an earthquake? Was it God? Here's what I would say. Here's I'm going to wrap this up. I think it's so important for us in the church today to see this, to understand these things. God has determined, and before these stories, and in our lives too, God has determined that he would use faith and trust in him and faithful actions to cause the walls to fall and salvation to come. Faith is vital, and it's been chosen by God to change things, to do things. Here's the problem. What we're being told in America today and in Western Christianity today, very popular Christianity, is to, is to have faith in faith. To trust in faith. As if these people, these Jews who had been wandering the desert for 40 years, 
this is what happened, is if they picked up their trumpets and said, I claim these walls for God, and when I blow these trumpets, they're going to fall down because I have claimed it so. And yet, is that not exactly what we're being taught in Western churches today? Celebrated by the thousands. Have faith in faith. Trust in your trust in God. And that's what makes things happen. Faith is vital, and it's been chosen by God to make things happen, to change things. And I want you to really wrap your brains around this. If they hadn't stepped out in faith, nothing would have happened. Have you ever thought about that? That it was a prerequisite for the story that these people had to step out in faith. Again, I just want to rewind it just a little bit in in Joshua. Joshua chapter 1. They've been wandering the desert for 40 years. Grandma and grandpa haven't been faithful. Mom and dad haven't been faithful. Scripture says in Hebrews, their carcasses lined the desert because they refused to be faithful people. And now the new generation comes to the Jordan River to cross over into the promised land, and it's at flood stage. So it's not a trickle, it's huge. You can go there now, today in the spring, in the, in the flood stage, it's massive. And now they've got to cross that. The guy's like, go, cross it. Put your priest at the front, put the ark on poles, and when you do what? Do you remember the story? When your toes step in the water, I'll split it, and you'll cross on dry land. Had they not taken a step of faith, nothing would have happened. So for those of us who are providentialists and sovereignists, we're like, no, it's God. <laughs> it just eats us up. I'm going to fall back on God has predetermined that he will use the faithful actions of his people to accomplish his will. Faith is vital to the story of God and to what he wants to accomplish in us. If they had not stepped out in faith, nothing would have happened. Again, I don't want to be sloppy with this text, but I want to ask this question as we think about Joshua. What's not going to happen in your life unless you step out and do it? You ever thought about that? That God has put you where you're at with that crazy boss, in that difficult marriage, with those nutty, rebellious kids, And there's something that needs to happen, and he's not going to do anything. Nothing's going to happen unless you step out in faith and do it. Have you ever thought just like that? It's not dependent on you, but God has predetermined that if you will act in faith, he will use that faith to accomplish his will. What won't happen unless you step out and do it? Here's another one. Who else is waiting for you to step out in faith? Who else is waiting for you, for somebody to step out in faith? I want you to just think about Rahab for a second. Jewish tradition holds that after this event happens, after she's rescued from from Jericho, that she gets married. We know she gets married, but that tradition is that she married one of the spies whose lives she saved. And I'm not going to tell that story, but that was the whole deal. She saves these men's lives, and she ends up marrying one of them. couple of generations later, two, I believe, they have a child, so her grandchild, Boaz. Some of you will know that name. Very important name in the Old Testament. He has a kid whose name is Obed, who has a child whose name is Jesse, who has a child whose name is David. Does any of that happen? Think, have you ever thought about that? If Rahab doesn't step out in faith? 
There may be people you'll never know who are waiting for you to step out in faith. The key, and I'm going to, I hate to use this word, but it's the only word I can think of. The key that unlocks and releases the power that brought down the walls was their faith in God. If you use that biblically, it's an okay statement. It's been co-opted by a bunch of bad theology, but it works if you do it biblically. And that God, it's a belief and a trust in God that he'd be true to his word and he would act on their behalf to defeat their enemies. They believed in God that he would act on their behalf and they stepped out in faith. And it unlocked, it enabled, it removed whatever barriers were there for that work of God to happen. Amen? We need to take that away from this story also for ourselves as we live our lives. So as we talked about characteristics of faith, we've looked at these people, all these people in Hebrews 11 up to this point, we've talked about they have characteristics. If you're wondering what faith looks like, because we struggle with faith, don't we? Like living faithfully, believing God, trusting God, that's hard. And we're like, well, what does that look like? He gives us a list. That's part of why he gives us this list, is for us to see these people and go, oh, that's what faith looks like. So what are the common things they share, characteristics they have in common that we could emulate, right? That we could live like that. Talked about their faith, that they trust God. They were faithful in their actions. They didn't just say they believe, they actually act on it. That the object of their faith, who they were trusting in, was God himself, Jesus Christ, actually, the scripture says. They're trusting in him. He's stronger than their weaknesses. Last week, we talked about the fact that following God is costly. Stepping out in faith costs you something. Faith pays that cost. Trusting that it's worth it. Here's another one we get from the story of Jericho real quickly. Faith is patient. Faith is patient. It's just so hard for us because we're angry when the popcorn's not done in a minute, 50 seconds, instead of two minutes. Like, I want my popcorn now. We want everything now. Microwave it. Give it to me yesterday. Instant, instant, instant. This is so hard for us to wrap our minds around. But a biblical principle is that faith is patient. If you ever thought about this story, just, just the Jericho story. So God, here's God's plan. These people have wandered the desert for 40 years. They're shepherd, they're agrarian. They find quail on the ground and dirt and, and bread and they eat it. Like this is what they've been doing for 40 years. God, here's, a, here's this biggest city we've ever seen outside of Egypt. It's fortified. It has a wall. We can't get in. What's the plan? Battering rams. Are we throwing Molotov cocktails in there? God's like, okay, here's the deal. You guys ready? You're going to walk around the city for seven days. And on the seventh one, you're going to do it seven times and then blow your trumpets. Go, guys, <laughs> right? That's God's big plan here. It sounds crazy. Couldn't God have just done on day one? Why did this take a week? Could it be that God is trying to get his people just to be faithful? Trust me. I know it sounds crazy. I know what I'm asking you to do. Trust me. We don't build trust on day one. It's not God's, it's not God's fallibility that, that makes him wait seven days. It's, it's our weakness that makes him wait seven days. We need to exercise our faith, stretch those faith muscles, right? And the only way that we do that is waiting patiently on him. So for them, it's seven days, which probably seemed like somewhat of an eternity when you have two million people who are ready to go find a home. 
So seven days they waited. Think about the Old Testament. They waited 400 years, 400 years to be released from slavery in Egypt. Abraham was 100 years old when Isaac was born. Noah waited 80 years for rain, building a boat that people were like, you are crazy. Jacob waited half his life to be right with Esau. Abel, just think about, I don't know what Abel's thinking in heaven. So Abel gives his life to just inadvertently, accidentally, he makes a sacrifice to God. and His brother is enraged because it's not accepted, kills him. We don't read Abel's name in scripture again until we get here. Thousands of years for Abel's faith to be recognized. How long did he wait for vindication? Faith, you ready? I had to write this down, it was for me. I'm going to give it to you, it's free. Ready? Faith trusts God will do what he has said no matter how long it takes. Faith is patient. So yes, we pray, and we pray like David. How long, O oh Lord? How long? And then we wash our tears, and we get up, and we walk with him today until whenever. Faith is patient. Verse 31, that's Joshua. I really wanted to get to Rahab, and it's so late already. Verse 31, as if to just drive it all home, we've talked about this again the last several weeks, a recurring theme. There's this theme that God's grace gives you a chance to live faithfully today and tomorrow, even if you messed up yesterday really bad. That, that you can live by faith again now, this next moment. You don't have to do it the same way. By God's grace and his changing power and the Holy Spirit in you, you can live by faith today and tomorrow, even if you didn't yesterday. And it's to drive that all home, like the author's trying to just really point out to us how true that is, that God's grace give you, gives you a chance regardless of yesterday. How does he introduce Rahab? Rahab the harlot. Rahab the prostitute. That's kind of a bummer. On the one hand, I kind of wish that the author, the Holy Spirit, would have just scrubbed that. You know? Like, is that necessary? Because he didn't introduce Moses the murderer or Abraham the liar. But Rahab the prostitute, I was like, that's kind of harsh. What does that tell us? There are some things that this actually tells us that I think are very important to the story. First of all, she's a Canaanite. We'll read something in a minute. We'll, we'll read something from Joshua here in a second. But basically what we need to know about, about them, they were Canaanites who had heard some stories about the Jews, and it's almost mythological what they, what they, that they hear and how they believe about him. But ultimately, they're, they're not super impressed with this Yahweh, at least not to the point where they're ready to bow to him. She's of those people. She's in Jericho. They have shut themselves up tightly in their big city, their fortress walls. Your puny little desert god can't get in here. She's with those people, and she's a prostitute. And we're like, wow, we could really get hung up on all these terrible negative things about Rahab. Here's why she's on the list. Don't ever forget why she's on this list. She's on this list because God called her. And man, you should say amen. Because if God can call her, he can call you, and he can call me. And there's somebody in this room this morning, you're like, God can never use me. He can never call me. I've done dumb things. I've smoked stupid things. I've shot up dumb things. I've said dumb things. God can never use. Yes, he can. 
God called her. He's called me and you, which we'll talk about in a second and how crazy that is. And he might be calling some of you today. Rahab is faithful and she had so very little to go on. At least theoretically they had the first five books of the Bible, which she's probably never read or heard of. We'll get to her story here in a second, what she did know. The Jews had a little bit more to be faithful on. But she had very little to, to go on, and she was still faithful. If you read the story of Rahab, and you see her in Hebrews, and you're like, see, God wants us to be innocent and childlike and ignorant. We're better to be ignorant and faithful with a little than to be puffed up in knowledge and arrogant. You have missed the point. <laughs> the point of Rahab isn't that she knew very little, so she, and she was faithful, be like Rahab. The point of Rahab was she had very little and she was faithful. You have the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ in you. Why aren't you faithful? It's not emulate her in what she didn't have. It's emulate her in that she trusted God with very little information. You and I have so much more to go on and yet we don't trust God. This is what Hebrews is trying to point out to us. So I would encourage you, Get more knowledge about what God has actually said, about what God has actually promised. I'm not asking you what God told you in your prayer closet or what he whispered to you in your car when you were driving to work. The minute you elevate that to the same level as scripture, I'm, I'm going to tell you, you're on the road to heresy. God speaks, the Holy Spirit speaks, but not to the same authoritation, authoritative level that he does here in scripture. What has God said? What has he already promised that God himself said? I'm going to write that down so you don't get confused. Know what he says. Some of you are in this room, you're like, well, I'll, I'll never have a spouse. I'll never, I'm just going to get stuck in this season of life forever. I can't be happy in this life because all these people around me are not what I want them to be or life isn't what I want it to be or I can do this sin and it won't affect anyone or God can't love me or accept me until I clean myself up, until I'm a better person, until I change this or until I change that. You know what scripture says? Do you even know what scripture says? It says seek the Lord and all of these things will be added to you. Now either that includes your singleness or not. See, this, it's very practical. Some of you are like, well, I'll never have a child, and God will never. It includes having children or not. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and what? All these things will be added to you. That's a promise from God in Scripture. Do you know these things? God will provide for you from the riches in Christ. There are two texts that I can think of that that is very spiritual in nature. He's talking about your inner man, your character, God's going to provide for you. I can think of a minimum of four texts where it uses the same language, and God says, I'll provide for every physical need you have from the riches of God in Jesus Christ. The inexhaustible bank account of Jesus Christ. God will provide every need you have from that. Do you know that? Do you know that scripture says that? Some of us have this Weird Western Christianity that's like it's only as good to the degree that it works. If I prayed for something and I got it, it worked, therefore Christianity is good. Which is bas basically, here's two things. It's the idol of rationalism and the, idea, the idol of pragmatism. Look them up, they're big words, okay? But that's basically what we do in the West. We, we, we idolize, we worship, we bow with the idol of rational thinking and does it work? 
if that is your Christianity, which it is for some of us, the only thing that you're going to be faithful in is the thing that has the most immediate benefits for you. You will never spend anything. Your Christianity will never cost you anything because that doesn't work. The less you know about God, the more likely you are only to be faithful in small things, in what feels good now, in what requires the least amount of risk. What you believe directly impacts your faithfulness. Know more, and then be faithful in all that you know. She was willing to risk everything on Yahweh, kind of this unknown God. She's willing to risk everything, her children, her family, the future family she doesn't even have. She's willing to risk everything. If you read what she says. This is Joshua 2, verse 9. She says, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the terror of you has fallen on us and all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and, that you, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, whom you utterly destroyed. When we heard it, our hearts melted and no courage remained in, in man any longer because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. She knows so little. If that's all that she knows is those three verses, it's so very little. Yet she's willing to risk everything that this God might save her. Most of us want a life with God that requires the least amount of risk possible. And then we are shocked when our faith fails and we shrink back from trusting in God. Until you cross some of these rivers, these Rubicons, where you trust God with big things and it doesn't turn out the way you want it to, you will never learn to risk things for God. And yet our prayer life and our internal life circles, orbits around, God, give me everything I want on life to be as comfortable as possible. And we're shocked when our faith fails us, when life gets hard. There's another commonality here. I got to just push hard. This is one I really don't like. Another common mark of faith. You see this all throughout Scripture, and I seriously don't like this one. All of these people who were faithful people in Hebrews 11, endured some terrible, horrible things in order to be given the opportunity to display and exercise and develop faith. And I really dislike that. But it is a consistent theme throughout Scripture. I would challenge you to find someone in Scripture, please send me an email, of someone that God uses mightily, even weekly in Scripture, that didn't walk through something horribly painful. You should rack your brains right now. Think hard, because I can't think of one. There seems to be some biblical principle that whoever God's going to use, he will intend them to walk through pain and suffering in order for their faith to be on display. Can we say it that way? We should say it that way, because I think that's what Scripture shows us. Some of us are just wiped out by disappointment and pain and suffering and it just crushes us and we're overcome with sadness. Man, shouldn't there be something about our Christian worldview 
that separates us from the rest of the world when pain comes our way and when disappointment comes our way, that rescues us, that rescues a Christian, that we would look at difficulty and pain and say, this is the path that God has put me on so that my faith can be on display for people to see. And I can grow in my faith. And my faith can be exercised and strengthened and developed and matured. And yet we find ourselves in the same response places that people who don't know Jesus. And we get crushed by life and utterly disappointed and stuck in our sadness and wallowing in our fears. Does that sound like a Christian worldview to you? Because it doesn't to me, and I don't think that's what we see in Hebrews 11. People who are just bombarded with the worst stuff that life has to throw at them. By faith, by faith, by faith, they risk and they do and they walk with God. I think that's another common thing we see. The other thing that I see in this story that I think is, well, you see it throughout Hebrews 11. I see it here in particular. The Lord's mercy is all over the story. And I think God's mercy is necessary for us to have faith, to trust him. The spies chose Rahab's place to go to. You ever thought about that? I don't know, were there 100,000 people living in uh, in, in Jericho at the time, and they chose the prostitute's house, you know? What godly men, two dudes, go, and they're looking for some place to hide, and they choose the prostitute's brothel. Why? Because God told them to go there. Wrap your minds around that. They chose Rahab's place. Of every place they could have gone, they go there. That Rahab was there, and she was prepared. God had already done a work in her heart to get her ready for when they showed up. That's mercy. That God would choose a prostitute to do his work through faith. That's mercy. That Rahab would then marry into the tribe of Judah, that she would become the great-great-great-grandmother of David, folded into the people of God, and a direct ascendant to Jesus Christ. Scripture isn't about good people or bad people. Scripture is about people who trust in God that's mercy and grace. It's all over this story. Don't read Rahab and think she was better than other people. No, she was the recipient of mercy. I want you to think about your story. Some of you are here this morning. You're convinced that your story is just a chain of weird, random circumstances that led you to where you're at right now. I was thinking about this the other day. Mindy and I, I, I was born in, to an unwed 16-year-old mother in, in Fort Worth, Texas. She was born in some foreign land up north. She's a Yankee by birth, somewhere in Michigan or something horrible like that, right? How, how do we find each other at 12 and 13 years old? How does that happen? Well, I could run you through the circumstances that led us to that day. I could take you through both of our stories and say, oh, this was weird. Wow, how crazy is that? That we both end up in the same place at the same time to meet one another. Or I can look back and go, wow, look what God did. I want, you to, I want to just challenge you with your life right now. Is your life just a series of circumstances and coincidences? Would you entertain with me this idea? I think the reality, the reality of your life is this. That God is orchestrating things in your life as works of mercy. To do something in you you could never imagine. That's the real story of your life. It's not coincidental. It's the merciful act of God to put you where you're at, to do something through you. What act of salvation might God have been preparing you for with all your life circumstances to bring you to this place?
think the other thing I would say, two things that we got to be done. Yes, Rahab is introduced to us as Rahab the prostitute, which is a bummer. I think it's a bummer for her in some ways, you know, that she still gets remembered that way. I think when you read Hebrews 11, you should see it flipped on its head. And it's not that we end the story with Rahab the prostitute. What we walk away with is Rahab the faithful, right? It's the contrast that this prostitute pagan in a city that was ready to just ignore these people or go to war with them is the one God chose, and she was faithful to what she knew about God. So not Rahab the prostitute, but Rahab the faithful. And then this, we get her story in Joshua 2. She's mentioned as the direct descendant of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 11, we see her again. We get her again in James chapter 2. If you think Hebrews is hard, James will just beat you up. And James is like, listen, you want to know what faith looks like? Look at Rahab. Not Rahab the prostitute. Rahab the faithful. God is not ashamed to be her God. James didn't choose her name out of a bag of names. The author of Hebrews didn't choose her name out of a bag of names from the Old Testament. Matthew could have easily, if you're going to write a story about your Savior, are you not going to leave out the prostitute in the family tree? They ever thought about it? We do. When you tell your story, you leave out the cruddy people in the past. I've seen your Facebook posts. It's all happiness in your lives, right? We don't talk about bad things. Matthew chose to talk about the prostitute. The Holy Spirit of God put it in these authors' minds. Write Rahab's name. She's faithful. Think about that. God is not ashamed to be Rahab's God. Amen? And he will not be ashamed to be your God if you will walk with him and you will trust in him. We shouldn't look at Rahab and go, what is she doing on this list? Why is she in Hebrews 11? What, what qualifies her? She's a harlot. She's a prostitute. Oh, forget that. Why is she here? No, we shouldn't be looking at anyone in this room like that. We should be looking around going, why am I here? What am I doing here? Why am I on God's list? Because if my business card, if her business card is Rahab the prostitute, you have one too, and I've got one too, and it could say Joe the liar, or Joe the fearful, or Joe the control freak, or Joe the doubter, and I got more. Or, by the grace and the mercy of God, it could be that it gives God joy to say it. He's not embarrassed. Joe the faithful. And he'll say the same thing about you and I if we will walk with him and we will trust him with our decisions daily. She was a prostitute, yes. And you know what? You and I are a bunch of losers. God can save us and he can use us when and if we trust in him. That's the deal. It's trust. Trusting in God. Faithing in God. And the last thing I want to point out, we got to be done. You should see Jesus all over this story too. You, you, you should read Hebrews chapter 11 and see all these things pointing to Jesus. And this is the whole point as we get to chapter of, uh, 12 here very soon, I think. Spe you know, think about Joshua and Rahab. Joshua's name, Yeshua, what does that mean? Rescuer. What does he do? He rescues Rahab who throws a scarlet cord out her window. There's Jesus all over it. You have that story here with, 
with Joshua and Rahab. A lost sinner saved. Faith, an acceptable sacrifice. And Abel, Enoch, morally living man according to God's ways in an evil world that a chapter later God will say, I'm done, and he wipes it out with a flood. God building an ark to save his people that the hand of God has to shut the door so that he can save his people who are inside. You should see Jesus in that. A builder of a land that we can't see. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. Amen? We should see Jesus in what Abraham was looking at. A promised son in Isaac. A substitutionary sacrifice. A wrongfully killed son in Joseph who what? Comes back to save his people. You should see Jesus in that. A rescuer of slaves through the blood of a sacrificed lamb. You should see Jesus in that. All of these people, all of these stories are pointing us to Jesus over and over and over again. And that's who they trusted in with so little. You have so much. Will you trust in him? Will you hold on to him no matter what? What is faith? as we just wrap our brains and our hearts and minds around it. I wish I was smart enough to write it this way, but I'm not, so I'm going to read it. John Piper, he says this. Do you know what faith is? And he's talking about Hebrews 11. Do you know what faith is, he says? The sort of faith that pleases and honors God. It's right here in Hebrews 11. Faith is when the human heart says, although I have been offered everything I could possibly dream of, Jesus is better. Faith is when the human heart says, although I've lost everything I've dreamed of, Jesus is better. Faith does not say, if God really loved me, he would deliver me from the hands of those who would torture me. Faith says, there is a resurrection life that is infinitely better than what I might gain if I escape torture. The faith that this author in this chapter is describing, he says this, Faith loves God more than life. Faith loves God more than family. Faith loves God more than job or retirement plans or ministry or writing books or building the dream house or making the first million. Faith says, whatever God handle or whether God handles me tenderly or gives me over to torture, I love him. He is my reward in Hebrews 11.6. He is the builder of the city I long for in Hebrews 11.10. He is the treasure beyond the riches of Egypt, Hebrews 11.26. He is the possession that surpasses all others and abides forever, forever Hebrews chapter 10, verse 34. That is faith. That is trusting God. Very simple this morning. You have to search your heart and ask yourself, do I trust God? Do I trust him? Do you trust him for salvation? Some of you are working so hard to get rid of your sins. You're working so hard to be acceptable to God. And you're terrified that you won't be. And you'll get in front of him one day and he'll go, not good enough. Do you trust God to save you his way through what Jesus has done? Trust him. He's already done the work. Believe in Christ. Trust in him. He will save you. Do you believe him for real life change? Yes, your business card used to say prostitute, liar, thief, whatever. Maybe it didn't say those things, but maybe you came in and it said sexual sin on it, or bitterness, or anger, or judgmental heart, or a thief, or a liar. 
Trust God to change you. Trust God that you make daily choices about values, no matter what the suffering is or the waiting that you have to go through, or God, this is impossible. Trust God to make value decisions today that say, I trust God. You guys bow your heads and close your eyes with me. God, thank you for this reminder, these people. One who we know, Joshua, one who we probably don't know, Rahab, God, but they are these examples of faith in the past who can show us what we're supposed to look like faith in the future. Give us faith where we lack it. Let us trust in you no matter what. Let us make decisions today that say, God's told me the truth and I'm going to live like that. In your name we pray, amen. Great to see you. Pastor Jared's going to help you on the way out. So, um, again, go ahead and get, start gathering your stuff. We kind of head out in an orderly fashion. I know we're, it's, it's one of the things we miss is connecting with each other. I just encourage you guys that we can't.